Zigzag's a 150-year-old legacy brand. So we've been around, especially in cannabis, there are no brands that have that nostalgia, that iconic relationship to the industry. It was always something, you know, preceded turning point, but it was always something that the rolling paper was always viewed as an, an, uh, you know, uh, we call it OTP, which is an other tobacco product. But the reality is that it's been used historically as a cannabis accessory, whether it's a paper or a blunt or a wrap. And, you know, with the stigma being removed with this industry, you know, 90% of Americans today believe cannabis should be legalized in some form, Um, 68%. It's probably one of the only issues in America today that we seem to all agree on. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And I hope you've been enjoying the podcast, whether it's your first time or you're a dedicated fan. I really, truly appreciate you being here and tuning in. So thank you. Sincerely, though, my hope is you'll learn something new, feel inspired, and put that empowerment back into your cannabis community. Whether you're local here in Texas navigating the hemp industry, or you find yourself in one of the emerging legal adult use markets. There's so much we can learn when we open our minds to the power of education, and so that's what I hope you walk away with from these episodes, a mind full of inspiration. Now, today my guest reflects a legacy tobacco and accessories brand. And I know some of you are like, what does this have to do with cannabis business and marketing? But trust my friends, there's always something to be learned. I don't say this to be controversial. Okay, sometimes I do. But in this instance, I'm also trying to set the stage that whether we like it or not, big industries like tobacco absolutely have their eyes on cannabis. You can villainize them or you can thank them for paving the way when it comes to smokable products. But nonetheless, there is a lot we can learn when we invite these brands to the table, which is why getting to sit down with Scott Grossman, the VP of Corporate Development at Turning Point Brands, was such an impactful conversation, so much so that I'm looking forward to presenting it to you today, and I encourage you to share your feedback and insights that you gleaned from tuning into this episode. You might not be familiar with Turning Point Brands as an umbrella corporation, But you might be more familiar with some of their branded consumer products, like the legacy brand ZigZag and Stokers. All in all, they're a manufacturer, marketer, and distributor of branded consumer products. And what I found most interesting was, of course, the parallels that the tobacco industry goes through that cannabis is equally experiencing now. But in addition to that, also the culture of consumer who is buying. Let's say they're buying a pack of rolling papers, of course, marketed as not for cannabis. And really, you and I both know what that person is going home and using those papers for. So again, there's this air of relatability. We're essentially selling to the same consumer. We're fighting the same fight from a regulatory standpoint. And now that cannabis is coming into the light, we're able to speak more directly to that same consumer and bring products and accessories to market that make their experience more enjoyable. In Scott's particular role, he's focused on strategic initiatives and acquisitions, which I know is a hot topic in the cannabis industry. Prior to joining Turning Point Brands, he spent over 15 years as an investor, so we certainly speak to that background as well and how it plays a role as Turning Point Brands looks towards the future of cannabis. So with that said, let's get right to the episode. Please join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Scott to the show. 
My name is Scott Grossman. I'm the head of corporate development at a publicly traded company called Turning Point Brands. We're approximately a $450 million business on the revenue side. We own Zigzag, which is the number one rolling paper and wraps business. We also have MST business called Stokers, and we also have a new gen portfolio, which is a combination of vape and vape distribution assets. I joined Turning Point approximately you know, seven months ago. And just to give some context, I've been an active investor and advisor for over 20 years. I started out as a banker on Wall Street and then moved over to the buy side, investing throughout the private equity and hedge fund world, focused on both public and private companies, what I call undergoing transformative change from startup companies to legacy turnarounds that are really at the intersection of both internal change influenced typically by rapid and relentless secular change. And you know, while my roles have luckily changed over the years, the consistent thread is that I've been focused on you know, partnering with management teams, mostly in the consumer industry to help catalyze this change. You know, specific to cannabis, unless you've been you know, living under a rock for the past decade, it's been a hot topic for many of the companies that I was invested with. And for me personally, it's something that I've always been passionate about. And I, years ago, I quickly grasped the generational opportunity for many companies and operators and, and investors like me. Like I mentioned, I joined Turning Point this year. I decided to leverage my background to join Turning Point to head up their corporate development efforts. And you know, it was a very unique opportunity to work alongside a great team with a very unique portfolio of world-class assets like ZigZag and Stokers. And you know, specific to cannabinoids, and this is for me personally, it just allowed me to have a real seat at a very small table to really move the needle of both Turning Point, but also our culture at large. And, you know, it's just really, truly exciting to be on the front lines as this industry evolves. I really appreciate that introduction. One, just obviously getting to understand a little bit more about you and your role, as well as the company and companies that we'll be diving into today. But also to frame up, I think, a really interesting conversation that you mentioned, obviously, wanting to be a part of brands that are creating change mm-hmm. and having a background with investment. I'd love to kind of kick off the discussion to get a better, you know, just kind of a pulse from your perspective on what is so interesting about cannabis. Obviously, there's the financial market opportunity with it. Sure. There's definitely the medicinal, you know, healing aspect of it. But it's a very challenging industry and not that challenges aren't, you know, exciting. <laughs> I think we're drawn to sometimes the chaos because we want to yep. fix it. We want to help it. We want to resolve it. But cannabis is a big undertaking to some extent. And so knowing that you have, you know, kind of this prior life of making very strategic investments, kind of what is it about the cannabis industry that you've observed or see opportunity to want to be, you know, a part of that risk reward scenario, if that makes yeah, sense? Yeah, sh- sure. That's a great question. You know, from a personal perspective, I think that's the easier side to, to answer. Besides what I mentioned about moving culture, you know, I really wanted to be a part of an industry that had clear societal benefits, you know, job creation that's largely protected from offshoring. We're helping unwind 50 plus years of systemic racism and an endless and reckless war on drugs. Um, we're providing a real solution to the opioid crisis, PTSD, and other health issues like Gervais syndrome. And, you know, can- candidly, we're helping raising much needed funds for our government. Um, so while it may still be a little taboo and garner, garner a chuckle from the parents and the in-laws, you know, I'm very confident that what we're doing in this industry is really a good thing. You know, professionally, you know, I mentioned this is a generational opportunity. And, you know, I, I think a lot has been said, and I don't necessarily think I'm a huge outlier here, but the re- but maybe if I can add, you know, what's so interesting about cannabis is that it's been effectively living in the shadows for 50 plus years. And so whether you think it's a $80 billion market or a $100 billion market, some people think it's a $250 billion market globally. The reality is that this industry is effectively growing from turning on 
illicit users into the legal cannabis industry. And so that is just an enormous opportunity for, like I mentioned, operators, investors, and companies like Turning Point. You know, not to beat a dead horse, but clearly one of the fastest growing industries in the world. We're on track to surpass $25 billion this year. And from my seat and from my perspective, you know, I think this industry is going to require significant capital investment and consolidation, which I believe will be, you know, really exciting to work on. We're, I'm sure we're going to touch on some of the things that Turning Point has done, but that type of opportunity, since we're in a very small sandbox, particularly with respect to publicly traded companies, you know, we're really, again, moving the needle forward and there aren't that many people trying to do it at least in my seat. And and that's really exciting. Yeah, just kind of on that note, you mentioned publicly traded. Help us just kind of frame that up for the listeners a little bit, because I think there are some, you know, unclear, I think, knowledge and understanding around where the cannabis industry is allowed to play in. And so understanding that some of your products are not specific to cannabis, and we can maybe even go back into kind of like the inception of the company you know, when was ZigZag founded? Kind of what does that linear timeline look like? But to understand the unique position that your company does get to exist in being publicly traded and what I think that is maybe different than some other companies or just the Mm -hmm. landscape in general when it comes to cannabis. Mm -hmm. If you can kind of break that down and and give us some insight into that as well, please. Yeah, sure. So Turning Point, like I mentioned, is a publicly traded company. We went public in 2016. To be very clear, we consider ourselves you know, a tobacco and actives accessories company. So ZigZag today is the number one rolling paper and wraps business, like I mentioned, but we're non-plant touching. So that is why we are allowed to trade on the New York Stock Exchange. To answer your original question, you know, because of, you know, the federal regulation, it's illegal for publicly, for companies in the United States that touch the plant to trade on U.S. exchanges like the NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange. And so most of these companies, if they're based in the U.S. or operate in the U.S., have to be either traded on pink, you know, call the pink list, or on the Canadian exchange, or you're a Canadian LP that allows you to trade in the United States. And so for many of the reasons you were kind of highlighting, this is a very nascent industry. There are, there's a lot of red tape. I'm sure we'll get into it. From, but from Turning Point's perspective, we've been expressing our thesis in cannabinoids in a way that strengthens and improves what we call you know, the house of brands. And so everything that we're doing in cannabinoids in some way, shape, or form has to be accretive to our existing portfolio. So everything we've done so far has been, you know, very thought, you know, thoughtfully constructed to help the zigzag brand. I mean, thank you for that, but also want to kind of, you know, maybe be a little controversial in the sense that, you know, I mentioned before we were recording, I think tobacco and cannabis very much go hand in hand. I mean, you talk about the ancillary, not touching the plant, obviously the accessory side of things. Mm -hmm. I I mean, just growing up being a cannabis consumer myself, like obviously you're going to go buy like cigars or rolling papers and Mm -hmm. they say they're not for cannabis consumption, but you know, it's like, you know what to do with those products. Right. And so there's very much kind of playing in the gray area of kind of what people are, you know, expected to use the product for. Now getting into a little bit of the controversy, I think there is obviously also some hesitation, I think, from the industry, maybe from like the smaller players of, well, you know, is is big tobacco going to get in the cannabis industry? And what does that look like? And I think from a business perspective, you know, coming from a business background, professionally speaking, like, of course, why would tobacco not be in the cannabis industry? Because there mm-hmm. is so much parallel, not just from, you know, kind of how you consume the product, mm-hmm. but also I think coming from the vice kind of quote unquote, stigma around consumption and things like that categories that I think tobacco and cannabis both like parallel play in. And so kind of walk us through a little bit, maybe kind of like, let's dip our toe in the water of understanding, you know, how tobacco kind of parallels cannabis or maybe where you've seen some differences as you've seen turning point brands start to get into the cannabis industry. Do you find that kind of overcoming a lot of the 
hurdles that because tobacco is not easy by any means. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to be like, oh, cannabis is like the hardest thing in the world. Obviously going through and, and, you know, I've never really shared this publicly, but I'll say it on the podcast. I I used to be a cigarette smoker Mm -hmm. for, you know, six, seven, 10 years of my life, man, it's been a while now. I think personally I've stopped consuming tobacco, very much consume cannabis, but to me, I kind of watched the evolution, I think, of a little bit of the tobacco industry. When I first started smoking, you know, there were flavored <laughs> cigarettes. And I saw the rise and the decline of that because it was targeting to children. And so I think a lot of the hurdles, again, that you see from the tobacco industry, you're now seeing projected into the cannabis industry. You know, you can't have cartoons reflecting, yeah. you know, your brands. You can't have certain flavors and things like that. Obviously, candy has to edibles have to be very explicitly that there's THC in the product and can't just be like an unmarked gummy to be, you know, confused by a child. And so kind of taking all that that I've just shared, you know, again, what have been some of your observations getting into both turning point brands as an employee, but also as the company is starting to evolve into the cannabis industry, kind of Mm -hmm. what has that looked like for y'all? Yeah. So just going back to your previous question, what I didn't mention is ZigZag is a 150-year-old legacy brand. So we've been around, especially in cannabis, there are no brands that have that nostalgia, that iconic relationship to the industry. It was always something, you know, preceded Turning Point, but it was always something that the rolling paper was always viewed as a, we call it OTP, which is an other tobacco product. But the reality to your point is that it's been used uh, historically as a cannabis accessory, whether it's a paper or a blunt or a wrap. And, you know, with the stigma being removed with this industry, you know, 90% of Americans today believe cannabis should be legalized in some form, 68%. It's probably one of the only issues in America today that we seem to all agree on. But to answer your specific question, at Turning Point, we consider ourselves a leading manufacturer and distributor of branded consumer products in actives. So today, largely, like I mentioned, we're in ZigZag, Stokers, which is an MSD business. We don't sell cigarettes, thankfully. We are in the vape business and in the nicotine vape business. But you know, from our perspective, you know, big tobacco is no different than big alcohol, which is no different from big pharma. Everyone and every board across the world is either thinking about their cannabinoid strategy of when to get in, how to get in. And, you know, that that presents a unique number of challenges for both incumbent cannabis players, but also you know, other companies that are trying to figure out ways to, you know, think about the next 50 years of of their portfolio, just to give a real time example, you know, the sleep market is a $65 billion market. Okay, so if you're big pharma who's selling, you know, I don't want to get brand names, but there are a number of consumers, myself included, who no longer need, you know, an XYZ sleep drug. And I think that conversation is healthy, where consumers are now figuring out that this plant has been used for over 10,000 years. And for a variety of reasons in the early 1920s and 30s, it became just a devil's drug, if you believe, if if you understand that. And, And I think we're just unwinding that and using cannabis from a health and wellness perspective that can cure and help ailments that are otherwise being treated with other drugs that may or may not be good for you. And so from my perspective, I think that's the way I approach it. Right or wrong, it's being branded as the health and wellness drug of our generation. You know, it used to be a cannabis consumer looked like Bob Marley or Cheech and Chung or the dude from Big Lebowski. And now they look like ultra marathoners and weightlifters and grandmas who are looking for solutions to solve problems that hasn't been addressed in the past that's healthier, uh, potentially. And I think that's a really good thing. I really appreciate the transparency and the way that you answered that question, because I think that it's inevitable, right? And I think the way that you can look at the industry's evolution, you can either be afraid of it, or you can be prepared for it. And I think that's what I try to always structure 
this podcast with is just to prepare everybody to inspire everybody as well to realize, hey, maybe the industry is evolving in a way that is taking its own shape and form, but also trying to find the opportunity in the way that it is evolving. And so I do appreciate you highlighting just the the reality that these big industries are consciously thinking about cannabis. One, because it is the new trend, I think, not necessarily to use the word trend as like a fad, but a trend as this is something like you said with the stats. I also appreciate you highlighting everybody from your grandma to your next door neighbor is looking at cannabis. And I think from my perspective, operating in the CBD world and kind of prior to getting into CBD, being a cannabis consumer, you know, I was originally just exposed to we're going to get high. We're going to smoke this weed and we're going to, you know, maybe roll it in a zigzag and I'm going to feel something. And I personally do enjoy the psychotropic effects of what my naive shade of thought was just THC, you know, versus now me in 2021 understands, wow, it's a multiple cannabinoid approach. If I smoke it, I'll feel it different than if I take a tincture versus an edible and really getting into that health and wellness application of, okay, well, now I'm being educated on these different cannabinoids, this consumption method, these different, you know, ratios, percentages to ultimately drive my health and wellness. And, and yeah, you, you have to understand, I mean, for listeners, right. You know, these industries are paying attention to that, but I think another key thing, which I think is really interesting to highlight as well, and you kind of touched on it from your perspective, the finances, you know, I think there is a big undertaking when you're trying to make change and legalize something. And it's not just legalize. Again, when I was just a consumer, of mm-hmm. course I was like pro-legalization. Sure. But as a business owner, now I see legalization has good and bad aspects to it. And we obviously want to fight for it to be legalized in the right way, in the safe way. We're selling consumer no packaged good products. No doubt. And so it can't just be a flip a light switch. We're going to legalize. There has to be some sort of thought and consideration. And I do understand that these companies, these legacy brands, um, like Turning Point Brands in particular, has financial weight that can help influence, you know, obviously we all hope for the better, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another point that I just wanted to highlight representing, you know, just where you're coming from in the market is being able to actually take the growth that you're seeing with your business and actually apply it to make change. So kind of getting into that a little bit, it is my understanding. I mean, you touched on some of the brands in the portfolio but I know that y'all have done some pretty massive, especially in the cannabis space. I mean, really well-known brands, not just investment, but some that you have actually acquired and brought in-house. Mm-hmm. And so if you could just kind of kind of bring us more on that timeline journey, you know, you were talking about accessories and obviously Zigzag being these pillar brands, but now, you know, we're in 2021 and, sure. and you've got some really great, you know, name brands under your portfolio. Yeah, thank you for that. So the journey of Turning Point in cannabinoids has probably, it's three years old at this point. Today, we have roughly four, what we call investments, where we're actively involved in the growth of these business. The latest one, which uh, you've mentioned before, is is Old Pal. Uh, We made an investment earlier this year. Old Pal, I don't know how much you or your listeners know, but it was founded in 2018 in Venice. And it's it's a branded cannabis licensing company focused on you know what I call affordable, approachable branded products, primarily in the uh, value flower category. Um, it's a really unique team run by Jason Osney and Rusty Wilenkin, and their original mission, which is still true today, is trying to build the PBR of cannabis. So great cannabis at a great price that's inclusive, that's shareable that brings people together. And I think that's really important because as we think about legalization and trying to turn either new users into the industry, but also existing users who have been predominantly buying it on the illicit market, there needs to be a place where you don't have to spend your entire paycheck to buy your cannabis. And I think Old Pal rightly fits that vector. With respect to Old Pal, you know, right off the bat, we were intrigued by their nostalgic, authentic branding that's very consistent with how we think about Zigzag and Stokers. And from an investment standpoint, you know, some of your listeners, just the way I thought about it, we think it's a very strong strategic fit. It's very consistent with how we're thinking about our branded cannabinoid strategy. And, you know, we were attracted to 
you know, A, the brand equity, which is remarkably strong. We did several studies and consumer surveys and, and remarkable to Opal is that its brand equity was really strong, even in states that it actually hasn't even entered yet. So from our perspective, that's, that's fascinating, number one. Number two, as we think about continued state legalization and potentially federal legalization, OPAL has the ability and the potential to really roll out across the country and potentially across the world. From a turning point perspective, you talked about the economics of all of these cannabis businesses, which is obviously very important. OPAL is asset light. It doesn't touch the plant. So it allows for easier state expansion. And it's really one of the very few select brands that's proven its ability to enter new states outside its core state, which is California. Old Pal today is up into eight states, which if you think about it, there's Old Pal, there's Wana, there's Cookies. There are not that many states that have actually been able to do that. And from an investment perspective, that's something that clearly piqued our interest. Last thing I would mention is there are just immediate synergies with zigzags. Old Pal today comes with in a make-your-own or roll-your-own pouch, and embedded in the pouch is rolling papers. So it allows Zigzag and Turning Point to really put our product inside of theirs, which allows us to gain new access to distribution points that we're not in today. So just you know, dispensaries, cultivation, grow sites. Um, this allows Zigzag to really get in front of today's new consumer. And, you know, we're really excited about, you know, the partnership that we made with Opal and excited about the other coming, you know, the future years with them. Other investments, we have an investment in Dosist, which is a higher end, mostly vape and gummy business. We also have an investment in Doclight Brands, which owns the Bob Marley license and in, in CBD and potentially THC products. And we also have a small investment in a company called Wild Hemp, which makes uh, hemp uh, cigarettes uh, mostly in the C-Store channel. Hello, just want to take a quick moment to thank my sponsor and full disclosure, my company, Restart CBD. Restart CBD is a brand that I built with my sister, so we are family-owned and women-owned. We do operate a brick-and-mortar in Austin, so if you ever find yourself in Central Texas, we'd love for you to come say hi. But we also ship nationwide, and we carry a wide range of CBD products. We really care about this plant. We really care about educating our customers. This show would not be possible without their support. So please go check us out at restartcbd.com and use code to be blunt for $5 off your next purchase. Thanks. And let's go back to the show. That's great. I, I am familiar with all those brands and they do represent different aspects of the market, but specifically with Old Pal, I thought it was really interesting when you were highlighting just the, obviously their market share, their brand awareness. They are one of those brands that when I saw them immediately, you know, hit the market, I was intrigued. I was like, Ooh, what is this? And I want to know more about it. And I want to be a part of it. And so to see them continue to find growth and success in how they've rolled out, which you touched on a little bit. I'm curious if you can kind of just like reiterate and maybe go a little bit deeper my understanding is, so they're kind of like a franchise model in the sense that they're operating in independent states, which for listeners maybe who are new, who don't understand this, you can't cross state lines with your products. So to be right. able to operate, you have to go set up manufacturing in that new state. Obviously, like you mentioned, Juana being a, kind of a leader in my eyes of someone who's kind of started in Colorado and has done a really great job of going multi-state, but every state you have to go operate from my understanding, I think Wana is more consistent in their formulation. I don't know mm-hmm. if Old Pal is it. Do they use local cultivars and then they highlight that local flower? Like, how does that kind of operation work? And then, obviously, you touched on it as well. Just the integration of being able to incorporate Zigzag into the actual product and mm-hmm. how that's been able to extend your brand into new consumers. I thought was a really smart aspect of of again the investment for them. Yeah, sure. So there's a lot there. So let me let me try and break that down. So Old Pal, again, is non-plant touching and they are in eight states. And so 
effectively what they're doing is that they're licensing their brand to state operators who uses the old pal packaging that they sell to the distributor. So to get to the heart of your question, which I think is, you know, Juan has done a phenomenal job. In order to have a brand, you have to have a product that's enormously consistent, right? So when you go to McDonald's and get a hamburger, it's the exact same hamburger as it was five states down the road. Budweiser, great, another great example. And, and Old Pal is really the same. And so they have a SOP or a standard operating protocol that they then give to the grower. It has to meet a certain type of, of cannabis spectrum on the THC side. They also have cultivars, like you mentioned, in seeds, and that's down the line. But, you know, mostly depending on the state, it's Old Pal tries to use, tries to find growers that are looking to fill the shelf of a dispensary that's more value focused. And you know, what we've seen is it's, it's relatively uh, easy to have consistency. And I think one of the things that not many people think about, we certainly do, is as you see the industrialization of the cannabis industry evolve, the actual growth sites and the technology that's going into these cultivation assets just allows the flower to be that much more consistent. So for a brand like Old Pal that's trying to get a flower that looks, feels, and experiences the same in every state, it just becomes that much easier as these multi-state operators, single-state operators continue to enhance their operations. Well, and I think another aspect of that that just kind of came to mind, which I think we experience in Texas from a hemp perspective You had a lot of people who wanted to grow hemp because they saw, I always talk about, you know, green in their eyes, which is not a bad thing. I mean, it's great to be opportunistic, but I think where I always try to exist in the market. And again, obviously this podcast is very brand focused and branding is my passion. Branding is my professional background. So I understand the value of a brand, but, you know, for kind of the general, let's say person who sees opportunity with cannabis, we saw a lot of people go to market growing hemp in Texas but they didn't actually have a go-to-market plan. And I think that's where having that brand output is so critical. And Mm -hmm. yes, I think the marketplace is dynamic. Unfortunately, sometimes to the extent that, you know, I think everything is a little bit on a roller coaster. What is the price per pound? You know, kind of what is, what is legal, especially in the hemp world, certain cannabinoids are being pulled from the market, it seems like on the regular. But going back to kind of your experience with old pal in particular, it seems like they've kind of helped enable a point in that seed to sale of, Hey, you grow really great flower. You don't have a brand. How are you going to go to market with your brand? You can white label it or wholesale it to the dispensary, or maybe you can use the old pal brand and kind of create more of that partnership, which in turn actually helps that grower, that cultivator to have an output for you know, maybe they just love growing. They're like, I don't want to go create a brand. Yeah. Is that a fair observation to make around kind of a little bit of their setup or? Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I think at, the, at a very high level, whether it's cannabis or hemp or rye for whiskey and corn for whiskey or tobacco for, you know, the tobacco industry, at the end of the day, cannabis is a commodity and it's, a, it's, a, it's an ingredient, particularly in what I call Cannabis 2.0, where we're seeing the emergence of CPG and consumer packaged goods of, of cannabis products. And so what that means is, I believe, again, this is very, very early, and I'll, I'll go back and, and touch upon why I think it's so early, but there's no question in my mind that there will be brands that win in this industry. The trick is figuring out you know, what are those brands? Are there too many brands today? I firmly believe that the brands of tomorrow have yet to be discovered. And so that's challenging, not only from, you know, from my seat, because, you know, we just don't know what that landscape looks like. The other thing that I would mention is, you know, predominantly in, you know, particularly on the east of the Mississippi, whether it's, or, you know, Massachusetts, Florida, soon to be New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, a lot of these limited license states have been so supply constrained 
that the operators uh, have really no incentive to put brands on the shelves that are not their own. And so these larger MSOs are now figuring out how to enhance their portfolio, either with internal generated brands, you know, I'm thinking like a rhythm of Green Thumb or Verano, or trying to take other brands and put it into their channel, whether it's, again, using Green Thumb example, using Can or, or Air buying, you know, beverage companies, you know, that is something that we expect to see more of. And we're going to see more of the shelf space being commanded by, you know, nationally recognized brands over time. However, you know, if you think about going to your CVS or your Walmart or your Whole Foods, there's without question going to be part of the shelf space dedicated to, you know, private label, right? You walk into a Kroger today, 20 to 30% of each category is Kroger branded or 360 in Whole Foods. And that is, you know, in the, in the dispensary, without question, you're going to see that as well. Uh, the reality is today, a majority, if not all of it, is effectively dispensary private label brands. And the question is, can they build those brands into something bigger? Or are they going to need other brands like Opal to fill out that shelf? And, and that's really uh, an interesting debate. Yeah, you made me think of something that is something that I ask myself and and just kind of, you know, dwell on a little bit here just from my position operating a CBD brand in a state like Texas where we are not able to play, but I mean you touched on limited licensure, you know, I'm very aware. You have Oklahoma to our north, there's the wild wild west. Exactly. You're seeing a lot of brands from California and outside of, you know, Oklahoma come and see opportunity, but on the flip side, I think you know, from what I've heard so far, some of those brands are not doing so well just because there's mm-hmm. so many, you know, brands right. and, and things operating in the space. Adversely, you have states like Florida where they're truly limited licensure, they're vertical integrated required. And so unless you have one of those licenses, you're not really able to play. Now layer on that kind of my thought, which is, you know, as a CBD brand, we get a lot of customers who are like, oh, are you going to, you know, turn into a marijuana dispensary? And I always have to kind of shoot the idea down because I'm a realist. Unfortunately, I'm a realist. And I know, depending on how Texas legalizes, and from my understanding at a federal level, they'll, they'll maybe legalize federally, but then still leave it up to the states. Texas mm-hmm. could decide limited licensure, vertical integration required. They could do a free-for-all. And so just without having an understanding of what Texas will do, it's hard to kind of map out what I could do, but you layer on top of that as a CBD brand, I can sell my own products. But when you look at dispensary models presently, the dispensary is predominantly selling other people's products. I mean, like you said, Mm -hmm. there's a percentage where the shelf space might be private label or is that brand Um, med men being, you know, a good example where they've built a really great brand for their dispensary and they have their own products, but obviously also carry other people's products. It's just an interesting transition as we move from hemp, which you can ship across state lines, you can own more of your brand to when Texas does open up, you know, what are those products that are going to have to play within that dispensary market going to be made up of? And are they going to be kind of like you highlighted brands that have been in the game kind of building their brand ownership, perhaps like a Wana, perhaps like an old pal, because we're already seeing it. They're already saturating this multi-state operation. Or is it maybe perhaps brands to come, which I think is very, you know, again, realistic perspective of, I think it's a mixture of both, but what that will look like when we see legalization is still, I think, a big unknown. So I'm just curious from your perspective, what are some of the things that you're observing as the industry is unfolding that are kind of, you know, maybe challenges or just aha moments that you're navigating through as the industry continues to go towards legalization at a federal level? Yeah. So considering that this is mostly a, a brand and marketing focus, you know, what I what I consistently see are brands, you know, going outside of their lines and trying to be a brand for everyone. And I think that's a challenge. You know, what I loved about Old Pal and a few others is that they know who their consumer is and they're going after that customer. And over time, you know, that can extend to, you know, other consumers. And that's no different from, you know, when Nike was created, it was specifically a running shoe for an elite runner. And over time, it, it, it got out into, 
other different sneakers and different athletes and apparel. And they were they earned the right to acquire new customers outside of the customer that was in their original lane. And so what I see a lot of today, whether it's trying to be in too many form factors from edibles to vape to flour to pre-rolls, what you see today is that they're trying to serve everyone without really knowing who they want to be when they grow up. And so I think that's a real challenge today because at the end of the day, there's just a lot of competition. And so the advice that I typically give to companies that we look at is, you know, own your space. It's okay if it's a niche space, but own that first. And then you may or may not have the right to go bigger and beyond that core customer. So in my opinion, that's, that's a huge challenge for the industry. And it kind of speaks to what we talked about before, where, you know, cannabis is comprised of, you know, over 180 cannabinoids. And it's not necessarily you're selling cannabis, you're selling an experience, you're selling something that's in a nice looking CPG box. At the end of the day, you have to treat what's inside uh, the plant as an ingredient and you have to create an ethos and a brand using that as a pillar into establishing yourself in a very crowded market. No, I love that. I love that you talked about establishing and earning your right to kind of expand and evolve as you've kind of earned the consumer's trust in your particular niche. And, and again, kind of reflecting from the hemp to the marijuana side, I think, you know, unfortunately the hemp arena, you're able to play a little bit more in owning a lot of things, which I think you're seeing brands kind of glob onto as a means of staying in the game. I certainly see it here in Texas, just in terms of, you know, even people's just expectations and understanding of perhaps when legalization is coming, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's a little bit of a kind of latch on and hang tied as you're riding the roller coaster and hope that you can be there in the next, you know, iteration in the next year and the next step of legalization. But it is an interesting, you know, which is what I think the podcast for me is so fun to kind of dive into these topics because we can talk about these things, but the reality is we just really don't know what's going to happen when federal legalization happens or when these certain states, you know, flip because every state is operating differently. And so Kind of a follow-up to that from your experience with Turning Point brands and the brands that are under your portfolio, you know, how has that evolution been navigating it in terms of different states, you know, market and different consumers? I think there's, you know, a very clear conversation around legacy customers and zigzag for sure probably represents a large amount of legacy customers who were like, yeah, you know, screw this is a quote unquote tobacco, you know, accessory brand. Like I'm going to roll my my weed up in this. So you have these people who obviously know what they want out of these brands, but then you have the grandmas, the neighbors who are the ultra marathon runners who are now able to come forward and actually say that they're using these products, but knowing that the market receptiveness, I think still does vary state to state. And that's reflected even in these you know, product skews that you're seeing certain products that are the top products in California are not the top products in, you know, Washington state. And so I just think there's mm-hmm. still some settling that needs to, to happen in the industry. So no doubt. from y'all's perspective with these brands, kind of what have you observed as you've gone into these new markets, anything kind of surprising or not too surprising. Like I mentioned, we touched upon it in Old Pal, just the brand equity traveling to other states that it's not in. I mean, that's that's enormously hard to do. And, oh, for sure. And, and so you mentioned about how quickly the industry is evolving. I think we as operators and investors and just frankly people, we underestimate and really underappreciate how far we've come while potentially overestimating or or getting frustrated by what's ahead of us. So I think what I like to do is just kind of remind people and take stock of where we are. So 25 years ago, Prop 215 was passed in California, as you know, legalizing medical cannabis in uh, 1996. So over the next 16 years, in, in 2012, we had 16 additional medical states. And importantly, 
We had Colorado and Washington become the first rec markets in 2012. Since 2012, so less than 10 years, we've had over 30 states go medical. We've had 17 markets open up for recreational. And it's looking like, you know, six or so slated for the next, you know, one or two years. And so if you think about that dramatic cascading of states over the last 10 years, it just reinforces how nascent this industry is. And I think we take for granted everyone wants federal legalization tomorrow. We want, you know, supermarkets for cannabis. And the reality is, is that that's going to take an enormous amount of time, capital, effort from a variety of constituents. And so what I would suggest, and certainly we try and think about it over here at Turning Point is, you know, this industry has tremendous variability and it's, again, rapidly evolving. We, we simply can't predict the probability or the timing of these outcomes. And what I like to say is, you know, when progress happens and it crystallizes, it usually leads to kind of like a step function where certain hurdles are achieved, i.e. a state goes legal or another state goes medical. And so the key to, you know, from a business perspective or an investment perspective is is really trying to back, you know, world-class management teams who have been there, done that, um, who have a real viable business model that can survive under various scenarios. And so they have the duration to muddle through factors that are simply out of their control. So if you're a company that's relying on the ability to survive, uh, that's strictly predicated on federal legalization, that's, that's a risk. And so as long as you own that risk and know exactly what you're, you know, what you're actually setting yourself up for, um, you know, we're fine with that. But the reality is that you have to have a business model that works. And, you know, we're, we see a lot of companies that, that simply don't. And, you know, what we're, you know, I think with increased sophistication and, of course, regulation, those rules be, will become clearer. And hopefully we're going to see some great brands and companies emerge that are doing good and, and, and certainly helping the industry grow in the right way but doing it in a way that allows it to survive and creates value for all stakeholders. No, very sage advice. I think that's the best, you know, piece of information that people can kind of walk away from this episode. I think really truly understanding the opportunity that exists, but the very raw reality of playing in the game the way that I think the game is today versus anticipating the way the game is being played tomorrow or right. in years to come. It is evolving. And I think anybody who, you know, an interesting point just to touch on, I was at uh, MJ Biz and MJ Unpacked, and I got a chance to listen to one of the executives of Wanna Speak. And someone was asking him about, um, you know, proprietary information around formulations like, oh, you know, if you create this really great formulation, you know, how do you protect it? How do you create intellectual property around it? And he was like, man, if that's your problem, you know, you're doing the wrong thing. You need to always be iterating, ready for the next yep. combination of cannabinoids, the the next delivery method, the next, you know, technology that's being implemented in the industry. And to kind of hear such a well-known brand kind of acknowledge and really humbly kind of position themselves of like, man, we haven't made it. We're still like working on the next thing because the industry is catching up. And I think that goes very hand in hand too with what you we're saying earlier on, especially around, you know, the best brands I think are yet to come still. Mm -hmm. And it is taking what some of these original players have established, learning the game, obviously paying attention to their wins and losses. I think that's just business practice, right? Mm -hmm. You want to kind of see how people are operating and how you can perhaps do it better. We have the challenge of navigating against regulations, against the legalities and illegalities of the industry. But, you know, that is that is the game of cannabis. So you sure. kind of either welcome it or you, you know, you go to the next project. So it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, but I would love to kind of wrap up just to hear from you, any last thoughts and really just projections for where, you know, I guess turning point brands is going, what are some exciting things that are maybe in the works and, and, and what we can kind of expect to see as y'all continue to use your influence to help advance the industry forward. Yeah, sure. It's a very exciting time to be 
part of Turning Point. The future is very bright. You know, I think there are really two parts. Probably a touch on zigzag, just given your your listener base, particularly as it relates to cabinoids. You know, we have a strong, you know, like everyone, we have a strong secular tailwind with increased cannabis consumption, change in public perception, and you know, we operate one of the best brands in the space. And you know, every day that goes by, we acknowledge that we are very lucky, and every day we try and make this brand better. And there are a number of exciting things on the horizon. I'm not exactly sure when this will air, but ZigZag on their Instagram yesterday highlighted that something really uh, exciting is coming down the pike. I'm not going to certainly talk about that now, but there's just a number of ways that ZigZag can really personify its brand and own a number of initiatives in the space to really reinforce the brand that we are. And and along that, we're going to see an enormous amount of innovation in our product portfolio, from traditional rolling paper to wraps, as you, I didn't touch upon it, but we made an investment in a cigar asset. So we're going to be doing some exciting things in that in that market, and you know, look for that as we go forward in the next couple of years. Other than that, you know, we're constantly meeting with executives across the space and influencers, and really trying to find like-minded individuals that are really again trying to push the industry forward and move the needle. And I'm excited to meet more of them. And again, just trying to do my part. Like I mentioned in my introduction, there is a lot we can learn from legacy tobacco brands and the influence they have over the cannabis consumer, especially as culture plays a major role in the continued enjoyment of cannabis. Where do brands like Turning Point Brands provide value in a platform to stand upon? I know it's unpopular opinion, and sometimes I battle with how I feel about big corporations operating in cannabis and how it stifles small and independent brands from succeeding. But the flip side of that coin is the innovation, financial investment, and opportunity they can provide just due to the sheer size of their operation. I hope this conversation sheds some light into how Turning Point Brands views the cannabis industry, what is exciting them the most about the future, and perhaps how you can be a part of it. As always, thanks for keeping it blunt with me. I'll be back with another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast next Monday and encourage you to keep championing cannabis in your community. Thank you and bye y'all. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com. Thank you.